Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Logo Marked Five Minute Podcast, where I interview from designers from around the world. Today I'm chatting with Benjamin Howes from Howes Design Service. How are you today, Ben? You know, as uh, as you Brits might say, I'm doing quite smashing indeed. Thank you for asking. Perfect. So the first question is, what's your favorite logo and why? Man, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think asking my favorite logo is like asking a father of 12 what their favorite child is. You know, I mean, every, every single child is unique and special, but my favorite logo would have to be, um, okay, so in the United States, we have this thing called PBS, which is Public Broadcasting Service, I think. And it's the equivalent kind of to like the BBC. It's a state-run, uh, federally funded um, public television channel. And they had a logo that uh, was, they designed it back in, uh, it was like the third iteration of this logo that was done by Tom Geismar of Shiremoth and Geismar. Right. And it's uh, the PBS identity. It's essentially the P. Um, the original logo was actually designed by uh, Herb um, Loblin, who also designed the typeface Loblin. Um, which is a really nice slab serif typeface. Mm. But um, he designed this uh, P, and he made it into a face. So essentially he took the, the top shape of the P and uh, the, the hole in the middle, and he, and he kind of made it into this face. And I remember being a kid, um, I grew up in, in the country, uh, and I grew up pretty poor, and we didn't have cable television or satellite television or anything like that. We only had... Uh, on the old television sets, do you remember how they used to have the, the rabbit ears on top of them? Like they I've would have them. these like an, antennas yeah, essentially. Yep. <laughs> and we could, we could only pick up three channels and one of them was PBS. And I remember being four or five years old and seeing this logo before every single show. And I thought to myself, like, I felt excited every time I saw it because I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, what does it mean? Like why does this P look like a face? Like that, that's really interesting. I've seen, you know, the letter P before, but I've never seen it, you know, at like a face before. And every time I saw that logo, I knew that I was watching PBS um, from a, from a young age. And so I think over the years, other logos uh, I've really enjoyed and, and logos have meant a lot to me. I know a lot of people previously on your show have mentioned the target logo. And I, I agree. That's, I mean, it's so simple, but it's yeah. so brilliant. You see it once, you never forget it. And you could be in Bangladesh, you could be in Amsterdam, you could be on the moon, you could be on one of those new planets that they discovered. And, and, and you know that if you're walking into a target, you know what you're going to expect, you know what you're going to get. And in my mind, that's what a logo does, is it, it helps transmit an experience and take that experience with you. But for just the sake of um, uh, sentimental reasons, I would say that PBS logo. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's a really good story. I like that. So Thank you. When you're designing a logo, what, what is the number one place you go to when researching, or the first place? That's a great question. So I'm a firm believer that a logo... All right, so I'm a big fan of history, and the term icon... You, are you familiar with the term icon? Like on your computer screen, you'll click on an icon, yeah. and it'll open an application. You know, icons for UI, UX, whatever. Yeah. Well, that term originally came from the... Uh, Russian Orthodox Church, and they would paint these pictures of the different saints. Right. And then they would go up to these things. I actually spent some time attending one of these churches, and this really inspired me. Uh, the parishioners would go up to these icons that were painted, and they would venerate them. And the idea was that um, you know when you venerate an icon, you're seeing that saint in heaven, while you're here on earth. So even though it's almost like this placeholder for this 
other experience that's going on. And when you think about a logo, it's, in my estimation, pretty much the same thing. When you see the Starbucks logo or when you see the Nike logo or, um, you know, a, a logo of your favorite band, let's say the Rolling Stones, excellent British band, um, it, it brings that experience to mind. To me, a logo is like a sponge and it soaks up all the experience and, and everything associated with the, the memories that you have with that brand. And so for me, answering your question, I try to understand what's at the heart of that logo and what's at the heart of that brand. If a company, the clothing company is coming to me and they say, hey, I, we want to do a logo that looks like it was designed back in the 70s or the 80s. This actually just happened to me recently. I want to know what, what does the logos look like back in the 70s and the 80s yeah. um, in, in the clothing field, in the apparel industry. And I want the colors of that logo, the form of that logo, the typefaces of that logo to evoke that time period and give people a sense of nostalgia so that when they look at that logo, this one specifically, they can feel that it has a familiarity and an authenticity to it. So the number one place I go is, uh, you know, I love looking at old, old advertisements and magazines. Um, the internet is great. Um, I, well, I like to go on, um, on Google, you can go Google news and they have all these scanned in newspapers from all over the world. And you can go back to the fifties and sixties and seventies and look at these old illustrations and logos from back in those days. And you can find some cool stuff that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Also, I like to go to Dribbble and see what other designers, contemporary designers are doing, as well as Behance and uh, Pinterest. And uh, and then the other thing I like to do is if I'm designing a logo here in central Ohio, I want it to look like it fits in in central Ohio. So I'll go driving around my community, my neighborhood, taking pictures, taking notes, sketching ideas so that it feels authentic to the brand and the location uh, of that brand. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. Really nice. So uh, I really like the way you explain what a logo does, like uh, it, like a sponge. That's a great way of explaining it. Like you said, it, it, when someone looks at a logo, it, you instantly re remember all of the experiences you've had with it, and um, and if you haven't seen it before, and then you've you sort of make a judgment on the brand and the business based on it. Um, and if it appeals to you, then you're going to go to the website or find out more about the brand. So it's so important, like you say. A logo is like. Um... You know, it, it's, it's almost like uh, like a bait. You know, like if you're fishing and you put a worm on the end of your hook or some bait on the end of your hook, it gets it, 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 a good logo should capture people's attention and it should get them asking a question. What is this brand? What do they do? You know, like, um, and, and a logo should entice people in to want to experience and encounter that brand on a deeper level. Definitely, definitely. So a bit more about yourself. When did you first get into design? Well, I could argue that I've been into design my entire life. Yeah. Um, when I was a baby, uh, we, I would, <laughs> my mom would tell me that I would sit in my like, you know, uh, my chair, baby chair, high chair, and there would be this. Um, there was a tin. She had this like tin of like an ointment, and uh, there was this illustration on it of a baby coming out of a, a cocoa bean. And it was the weirdest thing. It was just like this little newborn baby emerging out of a cocoa bean. And I remember my mom told me that I would always point at that thing and just like, and just go, oh, 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 whatever that means. But I, apparently I was really interested in just what this was and what it meant. And so my entire life, um, I actually grew up, I don't know, in the UK, do you guys, do you, are you guys ever homeschooled in the UK, taught, taught from your home? Uh, not, I mean, it's not a regular thing, but some people do, yeah. Okay. 
where I grew up in, in rural Ohio, um, uh, I grew up in a, in a very um, fundamentalist Christian household. And so my parents wanted to kind of shield me away from uh, the rest of the world at that time. And so I was taught at home and I didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do. Um, but I really didn't have a lot of friends growing up. So I spent a lot of time just observing things around me. And my mom was actually, uh, before she was a stay at home mom, she was a graphic designer for anchor hawking uh, glass, which is one of the world's big, was one of the world's biggest glass factories in my hometown of Lancaster, Ohio. So I kind of have it in my background from my mother. And I remember being a kid just driving through the town and seeing like the McDonald's uh, logo, the Golden Arches, the Taco Bell logo. And this was back in the 90s when the Taco Bell logo looked really cool and like yeah. the Pizza Hut logo looked really cool. Then they got really lame in like the <laughs> mid 90s and got all postmodern and crap. But and I also remember seeing the Anchor Hawking logo um, on this big old tower that was eventually torn down. And this tower just hovered over all the other buildings in the neighborhood it was in. And right on it was this big, thick-lined anchor in, like, this – encircled by this, like, rounded square. And, man, you could see that thing all over town. Of course, they ended up tearing it down as things go and as the business yeah. kind of started to fade. But um, it was always important to me. And so as I grew up, I didn't really know what I was – wanted to do. I was terrible at math. I'm still terrible at math. I'm, I'm ADD, uh, but my mom refused to put me on any uh, medication. So I just kind of had to figure out how to make my brain work normally. So I really got into music when I was in, uh, in high school, secondary school, and uh, I started playing music and was really into like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles, Grateful Dead, like a bunch of classic rock songs. Yeah. And I loved the old album art that I would see on like, in, in, in just the Beatles logo itself and its simplicity. It that logo is so simple, but it's so legible and easy to read. And uh, I remember seeing that. And so I ended up getting the band in college. To make a long story short, I was in I was in college or university, and I was studying um, communications. And uh, I was in this band, and so I started designing these posters from this band. And I got a a, a student copy of Illustrator and Photoshop for like fifty bucks, kind of illegally. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I made these terrible, terrible posters. But I fell in love with it, and all of a sudden I was hooked. And so uh, that's what kind of got me into it. And I was also at a crossroads in my life where I was dating this girl who I really loved, and she um, broke up with me. Right. And I was at 21 years old, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And this guy who was a designer from my hometown came to me, and he said, he said, Ben, he's like, every creative has a giant storm above their head full of a bunch of potential energy, and it's always looking for a place to strike down. And he's like, until you channel that and let it strike someplace, you're going to always just be discontent. You're going to always be discouraged and you're never going to be fulfilled. And he's like, I think you need to strike at design. And so I took him, took his word at heart and I've been hitting it hard ever since, man, since 2010, seven years running. And it just keeps getting better and better. So oh, that's an amazing story again. Uh, yeah, that's really nice to hear. What is your most used fonts? Okay, so... I have a couple of answers on that. I, my most used display font um, would be uh, Cable Black, I think, because it's a font that um, it's it's very like unique. It's got a lot of personality, and when you see it, you start seeing it everywhere. And it's kind of got like this fun, uh, like a whimsy to it, but also this hardworking industrial quality to it, okay. and. Um, I think a lot of my pieces have included cable black and it's one of these fonts that's legible from far away 
and you can read it from far away, but also has personality. And I like fonts, bold fonts like Futura too, mm. and uh, Helvetica Black. But they're kind of staid, and they're kind of um, they don't have as much personality as like a Cable Black does. And, and I really enjoy just just kind of like the practicality of being able to read it from far away and being it being legible, even a, you know a small size. But also kind of the whimsy that's uh, put into some of you know, the curving in there and the way the letter forms are made. Uh, my favorite headline font would probably be either Gotham or Proxima Nova. Um, I think those fonts are more serious. They're more um, credible, maybe, and they look great optically on a printed device, on, on print or on a web device. Um, and then my favorite body text font would be Archer. I love Archer. It's a it's a slab serif, but it's not a display. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of humanist elements to it. Really legible, easy to read, and it's one of those fonts that's a, in my eyes a joy to read. So I do a lot of my typesetting for like body copy in Archer. Nice, great, some great fonts there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I suppose you can get into a certain font and just love it too much or you overuse it. And I think that's what I've done with Futura. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're, yeah. we're moving on, but I'm trying. I'm always on Typekit now, looking for different fonts. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but I, I got to say, Mark, like, um, I went through a phase where I would use one font all the time too. And sometimes that's a good thing because you're able to see the limitations of that font. You're able to see, you know, like what can be done with it. You can push the envelope with it. You look at Drafton, for example, he uses yeah. the same fonts a lot. True. Uh, and Massimo Vignelli, uh, one of the greatest designers of all time said that you only really need six typefaces. Mm. So there is something a lot of really crappy fonts out there. You can get on defont.com. And so I try not to use a lot of fonts. I try to use fonts that fit the project that I'm working on and the fonts that make you feel something, um, not just because it's some of the, the latest fancy font on defont.com or something like that. Yeah. So That's a good decision, yeah. There, there's no shame if you chew a bold. It's like like Draplin said, it's the font that uh, that won World War II. So, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely earned its medals. So. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you've mentioned yes. people like Draplin and uh, other huge designers like Vignelli, and uh, I just wanted to know, who's your design idol? Yeah, so definitely uh, Vignelli, because guy was a genius, and, and he once said that it, um, a designer should be able to design a chair and a city if they call themselves a designer. It's, it's this idea, like, um, so I see design, like, in a lot of systems. Like, I'm interested in the logo and how that applies across a bunch of different applications. Yeah. And I think that Vignelli was so good with the, the New York City subway maps that he did and, and all the signage that he did during the subways of taking a concept and extrapolating it across an entire system. Mm. So I'm always interested in designers that do that really well. Um, again, Saul Bass would be huge on that list. <clears throat> pardon me. He, uh, oh, please pardon me. It's all right. Um, my lunch is fighting back. <laughs> but uh, he designed like um, these movie titles for a lot of these movies back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And he also designed the um, the old um, AT&T logo, you know, and the new, well, the newer AT&T logo, American Airlines, all, all kind of different logos um, that were just iconic, uh, easy to to pick out and that can be seen from far away. And that and he applied them beautifully across systems like the work that he did with 1969 with the AT&T logo rollout is, in my estimation, unparalleled. And the pitch figure that he did, uh, you can look it up on Google. Google, like, 1969 uh, AT&T logo, um, Saul Bass. 
and it, it's it's really great. Uh, and then I have a couple current designers that I really like. More more illustrators. A guy from my hometown of Columbus called Andy J. Miller. He has like um he uses a lot of postmodern or, or modernist colors, and he kind of renders them in a psychedelic way, and really just kind of a really cool, almost childlike approach to art that really makes me feel something. And we also have this guy um, in, in our hometown uh, named Brandon Reich, and he does a lot of work for all these different bands. And uh, his work is really cool because it it's like this kind of like very minimalist, like but still distressed, edgy band kind of thing. And he's a, he's a big inspiration to me as well, of course, as, as Drop and Ruby too. So, yeah, it's great to have like local ones, as you said, um, as, as well as huge, obviously, obviously huge designers. Um, so. I don't know how many books you read, uh, but what is the most valuable design book or piece of design content that you've ever witnessed? Oh, that's a good question. I would say uh, Draplin's book, pretty much everything, um, yeah. just in terms of being literally an open book, uh, he just gets into it, man. He tells tells it like it is. And one thing I love about him is is his honesty and sincerity. And like he, he just lays it on the line. And um, I love his approach to work, his hard work ethic, how he, I come from a blue collar, you know, Southeastern Ohio town where everybody worked in the factory or, or as a member of the union or, um, you know, worked or all the fields as a farmer. So that's my background. I didn't go to art school. So I don't have this like pretentious, you know, artist kind of approach. The reason I'm called house design service is because I want to serve people. My dad's been a carpenter for 20 some years. And he, his thing is called house remote. He services people. And I think that when we as designers realize that our job is to service the client, not to have our own ego serviced by the client or other people, that's when we start getting the big jobs. That's when we start becoming valuable to society. And that's when we start to grow as people and as designers. And so um, his book, Draplin's book is is great. Just visually, all the, the way it's made, you could, there's so much care and love put into that book. Like you could tell that he he took control of that entire process and he didn't have to do that. To me, that shows so much integrity that this man is the real deal and he cares who he talks about. And authenticity is very important to me. Another book that is super important, and I recommend that you read it, especially if you get into freelance or start making money down the road, is the Graphic Artists Guild Handbook, Pricing and Ethical Guidelines. Right. It's very practical and it goes down like a point by point basis of how much to charge for things, mm. how to set up invoices, um, how to make sure that your clients pay you, um, how to market yourself to clients. It's an invaluable resource that's helped me tremendously in determining my own value because the one thing that's hard for designers to do is put a value on our own work. Oftentimes we undervalue ourselves, but we really are worth more than we give ourselves credit for. And this book is that goes a long way in helping provide you with information on how to make that possible. So. Nice. I mean, I've obviously read Draplin's book and I've um, heard lots of good things about the second one. And um, it's on my list. It's on my list. <laughs> I spent way too much money on books this month. Uh, I bought um, all the way from well, shipping from America. It's it's uh, Paul <laughs> Rand, Paul Rand's um, design form and chaos. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's expensive. <laughs> but I've heard amazing things about it, so that's on its way. Um, and then I've obviously Logo Modernism and a lot of logo books, which are galleries. Which I, love. I have logo modernism too, man. That, that that book is so weirdly shaped, you know. Yeah. It's like one of those books you just want to take and read when you're on the on the loo or here, <laughs> you know, just got some time to kill. But it's so big and awkwardly yeah. shaped that, like, you know, it's it, it's. But I, I think it's great, man. That book it's is beautiful. very inspirational. One of my favorites too. Definitely. 
So, uh, what is the number one? What is your number one logo design tip? Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Asking me like my number one anything is like pulling teeth because man, I got like a million reasons why I like things or do things, but. I would say it's this. Keep it simple, memorable, and related to the concept. And I'll explain that real quick. So a good logo should look good on a postage stamp or it should look good on a billboard. Um, it should be scalable, right? And um, in my estimation, a good logo is the simpler the logo, the better. I think a lot of times we feel as designers that we have to impress people by showing them something super complicated. But man, we're hired for our eye and for our taste and we're the experts and it's our job to be able to communicate a brand story as simply as possible. One thing I've noticed recently with the advent of the internet and um, as it grows in prominence is there's this trend toward minimalism and, and like simplicity and logos, which to me is a return back to modernism. I think back in the, 90s, late 80s and 90s into the 2000s. Logos had a bunch of different swooshes on them and weird type stretches and bevels, and they look terrible. But the fact that logos need to be scalable on a small device like an iPhone or on a giant screen or on a big LCD 4K TV screen, the simpler the better because that stuff just looks good no matter where you take it. And I could not agree with that more. So that's simplicity memorable, man. Don't just do a tree or, you know, like a camp thing or whatever like everybody does everybody kind of does the same thing and that's cool i mean it's, it's good to start there but man if you want to make a real no pun intended if you want to make a mark on the world <laughs> uh, you got to find your own voice man you got to paddle your own canoe and you got to let let your life a lot of people are afraid and they want to produce work that they think other people are going to like that's stupid man you, you got to create from within you got to take your experiences your life your loves your passions and filter your creative process through the person, your personality, and that's how you create authentic work that um, that people resonate with, and that that clarifies you from the thousands of other people that are in the design world today. And then finally, related, keep it related to the mark. Like uh, if you're doing a, a logo for a nursery, uh, like a um, a plant nursery where you grow plants, don't put like a dog in that. People are gonna get confused. Let it be let it be simple. Like a three year old should be able to look at your logo and understand what it is and remember what it is. So. That's, that's top advice. Uh, that is really really good. So like like you said, uh, I, one thing I was always taught is think laterally, not literally. Ooh, oh, <laughs> that's good, man. I so, like that. That's good. Uh, yeah. So like, don't if you if you're doing if you're doing a logo for a pet uh, a vet or like a pet shop, don't don't just do a dog. Or <laughs> don't just do something that's already been done and everyone will instantly recognise. I mean, it's. Obviously, it should be recognisable as that service, but think cleverly. Like, yeah, think laterally, not not just first thing that you think of. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, Mark, it's it's scary to think that way because sometimes you're like, oh, I could just do a dog, and the client will like it and whatever. Yeah. But if I kind of push the envelope and do something a little bit more clever or creative, they might not like it. But it's the designers that are like, you know what? I don't care if they like it or not. This is the correct application this is the correct solution for your problem because when you're a designer you're primarily a problem solver clients come to you they have a problem they want exposure they want a unifying mark for their system whatever that is and your job is to solve that problem so really the power is within you and when you feel that problem solved then you have to be able to explain it and defend it to your client even if it's something a little bit stranger than what they expected to see because ultimately you're the one tasked with solving that problem perfect yeah Exactly. That's I don't know where else to end. That's that's perfect. So, 
Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, man. Uh, well, first of all, uh, if you had the grave misfortune of looking at my face, you've probably already found me, but luckily I don't post a lot of selfies. Uh, I am on Dribbble. Uh, just type in Benjamin Howes and you'll find me on Dribbble. Actually, I have uh, I have two Dribbble invites right now. I know I shouldn't be saying this, but uh, if you want to get on Dribbble, man, just send me your work. You want to get on Dribbble? Yeah, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> All right, man. Cool. Well, I got one dribble invite. Mark just, Mark just claimed one. Uh, so, all right, man. You'll we'll be getting that in a couple minutes. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at uh, house underscore design or just type in house design service. I'm on Twitter at house underscore design or house design service. And I also have a website, which is housedesignservice.com. Don't go to it. It's under uh, repair right now. I'm working on it. Uh, it's not that great at the moment. And uh, yeah, man, we're just Google Benjamin Howe's designer. You'll see my work on the image speed there. So that's kind of where I am. That's great. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And thanks very much for the dribble invite. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know what? Uh, here's, here's another tip I want to leave you with. Sure. Creatives and artists and designers, it's easy for us to kind of get out of our own heads and not be social and not be out there. But I want to leave this with you, whoever's listening to this podcast, you, Mark, and everybody else. A rising tide lifts all boats. If you can help somebody else out, I've been helped out so often along the way. The truth is, I'm, I'm a poor, I come from a poor background in rural Ohio, and I did not go to art school. I should not be able to make a living and a good living doing graphic design. But people came along the way and helped me out. So if you ever get a chance to help someone out, give them a hand up, give them a boost, give them a push. Take that opportunity because you never know if you're helping out the next Saul Bass or Massimo Vignelli or Milton Glazier or who, who have you. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Just, just had to get my two pence in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's a perfect, perfect place to end. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for checking out this episode of the Logomark 5-Minute Podcast. It's not quite five minutes, but I definitely think it brings a lot of value going over that five-minute mark. So you can check out Ben once again at Howe's Design Service. Also, go over to the Blue Day Design YouTube channel. I'm bringing a lot of content over there at the moment. It'd be amazing if you go over there, subscribe. We just hit the 100 subscriber mark, so we're now on 118. Um, there's a great community over there. It'd be amazing if you can like some of the videos, maybe share them with friends. Um, yeah, so lots of content, especially on YouTube and Instagram. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Give it a review if you can. And the next one will come out next Tuesday. Thanks again. I'll see you in the next one.